Welcome to I'm Anxious About, a podcast where two friends commiserate about our respective anxieties on a new topic each episode. I'm Christopher Mitchell. And I'm Allison Green. And today we are anxious about looking stupid. funny that it took over a year to get to this episode because when I think about it, it's probably my number one anxiety, but I realized that the reason why we maybe didn't get to it until now is because it's more of just a, a feature of anxiety as opposed to a particular topic, you know, like a lot of our anxieties about certain topics come down to the fear of looking stupid, such as like my anxieties surrounding restaurants and beaches and whatnot aren't specific to the place. They're specific to the interactions that I catastrophize and go into these very long multiverses in my head where I just err (laughs) repeatedly. And so the anxiety really at its root is the anxiety of looking stupid. So I'm actually really excited to dig into this one today. Yeah, I think it should be good. I agree with you. I mean, it, there's um, it's kind of like an undercurrent of so many of the topics that we've done is not wanting to look stupid. And I think there's a lot uh, that we can dive into a little bit here. I kind of like the opportunity to dive into topics like this because basically we'll be able to reference the anxiety you have around feeling stupid within another topic or under the umbrella of another topic. But this kind of gives us the opportunity to dive in a little bit deeper and dive in a little bit more. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. I mean, it's it's strange to say you're excited to talk about all the instances in which you might feel anxious (laughs) about looking stupid, but uh, I think we'll get some places with this one. So I'm looking forward to it. And I think we ought to kick things off. And also, I mean, this is the first episode after the one year episode where we announced that we're doing an episode every two weeks. So we should have a lot of energy, right? I mean, there's no excuse if we don't have a lot of energy. (laughs) We've been resting for two weeks now, so it's off to the races. And on that note, uh, I think we've got a good first scale back into things. And that would be on a scale of one to cartoonishly slipping on a banana peel in front of an enormous crowd. I guess I'm not sure if I said one in front of that. On a scale of one to cartoonishly slipping on a banana peel in front of an enormous crowd, where are you at? I'm probably around a two or a three. Overall, things have been good for me. I'm finally fully vaccinated, which has been a real excitement for me. And it's been a bit interesting and nerve-wracking to kind of re-enter society and start doing these things that I've been putting off. And so it's been nice because a lot of my sort of procrastination tendencies have kind of been getting a little bit sublimated by my newfound lack of fear of mortal peril. So things like going (laughs) to the eye doctor and like finally buying jeans that fit me and certain <laughs> things like that. I've actually been doing them and it's making me feel really capable and confident. 
And then I'm just slowly kind of getting my mojo back in, you know, social situations and interacting with people. I felt very much like a weird kind of like time traveler, just like lost in a foreign land with talking to people, you know, from being, you know, living abroad for so long with a language barrier and then also the COVID of it all. When I first got back to the States, I didn't really know how to interact with humans again. (laughs) And I think I'm slowly kind of becoming a little more comfortable, a little more, I wouldn't say confident, but I'm less paralyzed by the anxiety of looking stupid. And I'm actually realizing that coming back to the States has been really good for me because of my anxiety of looking stupid. I think I look less stupid here because I understand, you know, the language, the cultural norms. I can very easily kind of fit into different settings around here in a way where I I couldn't really fit into different settings in Bulgaria, shockingly. And it's been nice being able to kind of feel more just ease in my interactions. And so I think that's helped lower my number. That said, I've still been having some issues with like, workflow and finances and just other like big life things that have given me some (laughs) anxiety and trepidation. We still need to do money. And I just think we're just not, we're not ready to be anxious about money yet, but I've been a little bit anxious about money lately. And so I think those have kind of been pulling my number down a little bit, whereas other things are kind of pulling it up. So I'd say around a two or a three, let's say a three. Again, I thought the 2.5 was a possibility there, but we'll take three. We'll take three. Yeah. What about you, Chris? How are you doing on a scale of one to cartoonishly slipping on a banana peel in front of an enormous audience? Yeah, not too bad, actually. I'm probably, I would say, a two. I felt a little bit rough yesterday, but yeah, things are kind of the opposite of the way of kind of how things are where you are um, in Ontario right now. It's uh, not the easiest time. I mean, I think you're probably in that stage where you're emerging from the cave and sort of exploring the pastoral setting, wading through the flowers and such. And I'm still being told to stay in the cave at all costs. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm not, um, I have no idea when I'll be vaccinated and all this kind of stuff, but you know, it is where I'm at and I'm just doing my best to sort of I guess from my perspective, like I've been practicing meditation and reading a lot about stoicism and all these things, and they're all great ideas. But like, if I was ever going to put any of those ideas into practice, it would surely be now, right? And most of the tenets from, you know, that sort of thinking is the idea that I can really only focus on what I can control. So I'm just focusing on that. And, And I think I've done an okay job with it. I've, you know, been doing just focusing on things that I want to do and like to do providing myself a bit of grace for for when I'm not, you know, performing at a million miles an hour or doing my absolute best. I've also been reading a lot. I mean, I find reading's always been a really great way that I can escape to other places and other worlds. It's kind of the way that I can do a bit of armchair travel mentally. So I'm grateful for that. Particularly I had been putting off reading the book Sapiens by Yuval Harari for a long time. And I've just like gotten really into that. And sometimes you find a book where someone just thinks totally differently. And he makes a lot of claims in the book that I think are debatable, but I also think a lot of them are just really interesting ways to conceptualize how human beings have progressed. And I'm Focused particularly on the, he was had a chapter talking about, 
you know, the way that the human schedule has been formulated and how like really this conception of like the workday, as we understand it, is just a kind of a shadow of the, you know, industrialization and the industrial revolution and things like that. And I realized that I've felt this immense pressure to be like working or doing something productive during waking hours, like my entire existence. And I'm just kind of having fun playing with the idea of like, I don't know, taking an extra 10 minutes at lunch and not giving a shit about it because really it's just this programming that I have mm -hmm. and it doesn't really matter. And there's an argument to be made that I could be more productive anyways if I took that time. And I guess just I'm, I'm enjoying that book because I'm sort of becoming a little bit more aware of some of the puppet strings that, you know, are tethered to my heart, pulling me in different directions. It's just interesting. It's a fascinating mental voyage, if you will. And uh, that's the only voyage I can take right now. So I'm, you know, enjoying it as much as I can, but I'm, I'm doing all right. Yeah. Yesterday wasn't the best day of my existence, but you know, again, I'm not, I'm not like pretending like every day is going to be amazing. So doing all right today. And I'm relishing that as much as I can. I'm also kind of happy to be back behind the mic. I do you know, genuinely enjoy recording this podcast. And I think uh, it was also nice to see all the people that kind of reached out, all the you know people that reached out via either contact form or on the Facebook group or whatever, um, upon reaching one year mark of our episode. So I'm, I'm happy to, uh, I feel like I'm kind of the, the batteries recharged for me for all this. So I'm kind of excited to dive into this episode. And uh, on that note, probably won't hold anybody back from that. So, well, first, I don't know, you can feel free to respond to anything I said there, but if you have nothing to respond to, I don't know if there, anything, there is anything to respond to, but I know you've read Sapiens, so I wanted to give you a chance to do that before we dive yeah. in if you wanted to say anything about it. Yeah, I don't remember that part of the book, but what you were talking about with schedules and the Industrial Revolution, it reminded me of a podcast episode I listened to recently on a podcast I listened to a lot, Unfuck Your Brain. And there was an episode that was a conversation between a podcast host and a guest about sort of productivity and the industrial revolution and what that has to do with our relationship to capitalism, productivity, and self-worth. It was a recent episode. I, will, I can put the uh, link in the show notes for everyone. But if you go on Unfuck Your Brain, it was like, I don't know, maybe within the last week, it's an episode where she it's called like productivity and the industrial revolution or something like that. But it was really interesting. And it talked about a lot of those ideas about how the eight hour workday and other things that we sort of um, take for granted as part of like our normal schedule is actually a really new phenomenon. And that can kind of perhaps explain some of the things that we struggle with today. Like for example, when we were more of an agricultural society, there was, we would go to bed earlier and then there would actually be a period in the middle of the night where you would wake up and, you know, do something, light the candle for a bit, read a book, talk to your spouse, start something for breakfast and then go back to sleep. And so there's a lot of thought that people who have the kind of insomnia where you wake up in the middle of the night and can't go back to bed, it's actually not so much, you know, oh, you're deeply broken. It's like, no, actually, like this sort of, you know, you're kind of hardwired, you know, genetically for a different sleep schedule that we've only started adjusting to a different schedule in the past 300 years, which in, you know, the span of sending messages through genetic code is like, you know, a minute or two, right? Nothing. So 
a lot of these things are kind of these new circadian rhythms that we've started to adapt to. And, you know, the last two or 300 years might seem like a lot of time, but yeah, evolutionarily speaking, it's minutes on the timeline. And so uh, there are a lot of things where we're just kind of in the process of moving towards a different future, but we're still kind of having some bugs in the process. Like, I don't know if it's in Sapiens, but it might be in a different book, but humans are still kind of learning how to walk upright you know, and that's why we have so much like back pain back and joint and pain yeah. and whatnot is we're still not fully evolved to stand bipedal and do all the stuff without living in mortal pain. As anyone watching on video will be able to see, I have like a pillow supporting my back because it's the only way I can sit. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're probably not doing so well on the whole evolution of standing thing, but you know. Yeah, the last thing I'll say, but I just because I don't want to get too far off track, but I think it's it's interesting to so I don't want to just close the door on it, but like it's, it was interesting. He had mentioned that we have this obsession with like always knowing the time and the the date and things like that. But he mentioned like if you were to time travel back to I don't know, like a thousand years ago in a rural area, and you were like, "What year is it?" Like the likelihood of anyone knowing is nil, right? right. Like we all know what day, time, and month and year it is, but in the past, it was really just like your focus was more on the sun has risen and now I'm going to take care of my crops or whatever right. it is, like the daily tasks. And then the sun goes down and like you're sort of more in line with that. So right. anyways, it was interesting to look at how that gap between who we are physiologically and who we are socially and the influences that are part of that. So anyway, that's a, that's an interesting book for people to check out. But now let's uh, let's dive into looking stupid a little bit. So I think the appropriate place to start is probably just to talk about how kind of what you were talking about, that it's it's kind of a feature of a lot of different things that we're anxious about is looking stupid. And I know it's the core, probably the cornerstone of my anxiety. I have talked about this in previous episodes before, but I think maybe I'm I'm probably not alone in this. I'd be shocked if I was, but I think it's just like we we often imagine situations playing out and there's Sort of like, you know, in The Simpsons where like somebody falls and they're like, ha ha, you know, like just point at them right yeah. when they make this stupid error. We always imagine that that situation is going to happen to us, that people like care about us so much that they'll go out of their way to sort of like laugh at you for your some sort of stupidity. And, um, you know, I even remember before I went on CBC, which is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, to talk about this podcast because I was interviewed and this is not a humble brag this is just literally in a, a very applicable example in my head like part of the anxiety i had around looking stupid was like the most outrageous stuff like i couldn't sleep the night before because i was worried that like when they asked a question i would like forget to speak english or something you know what i mean and like and not in lieu of another language but just like literally i would just be at a loss for words. And the irony of talking to someone who runs a podcast who couldn't speak would be really, like I don't know, pertinent. And then I, I like beyond that too, I was like, well, it's live radio. My entire family is going to be listening. What if I swear by accident? What if I like, and the amount of what if eyes that played out, we're all based around this tenant of looking stupid. Yeah. They were all based around feeling stupid, looking stupid, being caught stupid, and it's something which can be debilitating for a lot of people, specifically people who have more of that social anxiety. For me, it, it doesn't really play out. Like I've had, you know, 
talks about how I'm I, generally an extroverted person. I, I find that I get out of my own head by being with others. But when I'm alone, I'm very loud in my own head, hence the difficulties during the pandemic in some regard. Um, but for other people, it's the opposite. They feel comfortable when they're alone and they're comfortable with their own voice and surroundings. But when they leave their house, the sheer amount of things that could conceivably happen to make somebody look stupid is almost overwhelming, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm very much that latter example. I'm very introverted. And while I can let my guard down around a handful of people, I'm usually just very afraid that I'm, you know, being judged and that, you know, my texts are being misread and misinterpreted and I'm looking like a moron or that my jokes are too dumb or, you know, this or that, both with friends and with, you know, strangers and small talk and stuff like that. So for me, my social anxiety is a large part of what I experience on a daily basis. And, you know, one thing that's been helpful for me is kind of reframing that what if I to the so what if I, yeah, you know, instead of thinking, you know, what if I make a mistake? So what if I make a mistake? You know, it's like just one little word that can really kind of change like, okay, and then you start to think, okay, like, well, what actually is the worst case scenario? Okay, the worst case scenario is that the cashier at the clothing store thinks that I'm an irreparable moron. Okay. (laughs) That's fine. I don't think she'll hold on to that for many years, you know, and I think I can probably let go of that too, you know, and it's- Can you imagine years later at Christmas, she's like, and then there was that one time that customer walked in and asked where the pants were and the pants were right in front of her. They were right there to her left. (laughs) Can't believe it. I like that a lot. I don't want to cut you off. I want to pass it back to you to continue on with that, but I just wanted to, to mention that I think- it's really funny that you had talked about the what if I to so what if I, because I had written down that I'm working on trying to go from the who is going to care to who cares, Yeah, which is kind of the same thing, mm-hmm. right? It's the, so what if I do this? So what if I do this? And thinking about all the people that are going to care if X, Y, and Z happens, which, you know, a newsflash usually doesn't even happen anyways to, you know, and and so what? Who cares? Not uh, who's going to care, but who cares? I, I like, I think both of those are the same thing, but I'll pass it back to you to mm-hmm. continue because I feel like you probably had more to say there. Yeah, no, that, that was pretty much it. I think I'm just trying to, you know, there's, it's funny because even as we people with anxiety like to think that, you know, we're very humble and we're very, you know, self-effacing and we don't want intention At the same time, we tell these like larger than life stories about ourselves where we're like the center (laughs) of the universe and everyone is constantly (laughs) remarking on us. And like, so it's like, it's this weird kind of like, it's ego, but it's like, it's mean ego, you know, you're like using ego to, you know, just beat yourself up. And it's just kind of funny because there are so many aspects of anxiety that, you try to make yourself smaller, but this is the one area where you really make yourself larger than life. And it's like, you know, if you have social anxiety, you feel like you walk into a room, immediately a bowl in a china shop, just like, oops, oops, oops. And it's like, 
no, you're just you're just a human being interacting with clothing. Like literally no one is looking at you. But like you knock over a necklace or something and you're like, oh my God, I'm they're gonna think I'm a thief and that I'm trying to steal this row of necklaces and oh my god, I better I better buy a lot of things so that they don't think that I'm a shoplifter. <laughs> just like people probably just didn't even notice you knock things over. It's fine. People knock I know. things over. I don't know what's more more like sad though like the focusing constantly on yourself or being like no i'm worthless you have to find that <laughs> middle ground you know you have to find that like healthy middle ground of being like yeah i matter but i'm also not the apple of everyone's eye i've um talked before about that study where they had given somebody a t-shirt to wear and went into a room it was like a focus group or whatever and they came out of the the group and they asked them afterwards how many people do you think noticed your t-shirt and they said it was a pretty loud t-shirt and they had said like, oh, I don't know, probably 80 or 90% and the actual results were something like 8%. So it's like in our heads, we we think that everyone's looking at exactly what we're wearing and critiquing us and breaking us down and whatever. But the truth is that most other people are so focused on, they're in the same, they're all in the cockpit, right? Like it's not like everybody, you're in the cockpit and everyone else is in the passenger seat able to view <laughs> you know, on a, uh, on like a, a safari that's looking out the window and they're viewing you and other people, everyone's in the cockpit of their own ship. They're driving their own car. So I think it's worth mentioning. Most people are too busy driving their own car to really worry about, you know, what, what you're up to, unless you are part of the demographic of like, I don't know, certain parts of Europe where when you're old, you just hang out in the porch and look at people going by, then, then you probably are the apple of the eye. You are the attention because that's what they're like. That is the entertainment value. People just kind of looking off their porch and looking at you and probably small town North America too, just kind of like the classic porch watching and just mm-hmm. being like, Oh, kids are outside playing. But for the most part, yeah. If you're in that wherever situation, the, I guess you, your situation was the clothing store or whatever, more than likely the person who's coming to help you is thinking about the meal that they're going to have after their shift with their partner not like thinking about like, I can't believe what a dumbass that woman is. You know, it's like, it's more than likely something to do with themselves. And then, but I think like just acknowledging both of those things is helpful in the end because i think ideally you want to be conscious of how you're presenting yourself in a situation to be respectful of the situation but also caring about people around you not examining them with a fine-tooth comb to find out all the ways that they're failing in every situation yeah and i forget where i heard this but it's helpful is other people's opinion of me is not of my business and i've been trying to sort of remind myself of that that people are entitled to think whatever they want about me and I can't control what they think. Just like I'm entitled to think whatever I want about people. Like I'm a judgy little bitch. I'm, you know, in my heart, (laughs) I'm like an 80 year old Italian Nona looking off the balcony, eating some cookies that came from a really large tin and just judging all the hooligans walking. That's who I am in my soul. Most people aren't that person. I'm that person. So maybe that's why I assume everyone's doing that to me. Most people are just kind of going about their lives. But even if they aren't, even if everyone has that like internal judgy Nona going on at all times, well, I'm a hypocrite if I'm like, well, that's unacceptable for you to do that about me, you know, because that's what I do, you know. But most people aren't that, you know, I'm just I'm just a special little snowflake. 
And also most people aren't just one thing anyways, right? Like it's, I think it's such a misnomer. Like I can talk about the things that I predominantly am, like I'm mostly like this, but I'm definitely not always like that, right? Like you, I think over the career of the podcast, over the length of the podcast, like we've probably shown... I would think dozens of sides of ourselves, right? Like you would, Mm -hmm. you would hope, right? Like it's probably coming from the same place, but it's always going to be a little bit different. And so I think it's difficult to say this person's always like that, or I'm always like this, or they're always like that. And I I try to give people the benefit of the doubt because of that, right? Like you, there's that quote, like be kind because you, I forget what the exact quote is, be kind because everyone's fighting their own quiet battle or something like that. It's definitely not the exact quote, but it's like something along those lines. Like you, you never really know. Somebody might be rude and terrible because something they've just found out some awful news or whatever. We can never really tell. And you know, it's not realistic to be like the king of empathy, right? And just like to walk around and pope like and sort of grace people with your with your own inner grace and and solve the world's problems. It's more just about, as I said, I think finding that happy middle ground between being conscious of the effect you're having on others, but perhaps you know, maybe not caring as much about the return of that, like what that effect is doing. Like if your intentions are pure, like I think what what you were talking about before about, you know, you can't really control how other people feel about you. I am totally at peace with that if I know that I haven't been a jackass. I've always been somebody who's a a rather jovial drunk, I would say. I, I think I would be certainly more kind to envelop you with a hug than almost any other thing. But at the same time too, I... I mentioned uh, to you before, Alison, I don't know if I said it on the podcast, like I just don't really drink in huge quantities anymore because I can't deal with filling in the blank space of the potential that I was looking stupid because I got really drunk. I just can't deal with that emotionally. I, I assume I was a decent person. I assume I was nice and kind, but what if I did something terrible? I wouldn't be able to sort of live with that. And so I just focus on controlling what I can trying to be a good person, trying to do the right things. And then I can sleep easy because if they don't like me, quite honestly, who cares? Because I tried, you know, like I also like, I'm, I'm not going around, like people aren't Pokemon cards. I'm not trying to go around and collect them. I, I really have enough people in my life at this point that I'm not desperate to fill out my collection of Pokemon cards. This is not to suggest I collect Pokemon <laughs> cards. <laughs> okay. Well, my, <laughs> my estimation of you just plummeted a bit. I thought maybe, you know, I was only in this friendship because I thought maybe we'd be able to connect Game Boys at trade a certain Pokemon point and cards. do like a nice trade. But yeah, now. Okay. All right. Well, I, I guess I the podcast who... is <laughs> It's over. over. Goodbye. <laughs> yes. And goodbye. But yeah, I had that complex for a long, long time where I was like, everyone must like me. And I think we talked about this in the Meeting New People episode and, and a few other episodes. But realistically, it doesn't matter. It's especially I've learned over the last year, like you just focus on the people that actually give a shit about you. And then I think you just focus on trying to be your best self. But sometimes too, like we have to give ourselves some reprieve. Like I know for a fact yesterday, I just wasn't going to be my best self because I barely had the strength to just sort of like get through the day, so to speak. I, I just woke up not feeling like myself, which is totally normal during this time. And I didn't, you know, try not to gripe and moan about it and walk around like a zombie and I was just kind of like well you know I'll just do my best during this day but like I probably wasn't the best partner I probably wasn't even the best cat owner you know but that's okay I think my intentions were just to be the best person I could during that situation so I don't expect I'm always going to be the best but I expect that I'll try my best with what I have and as far as looking stupid goes there I think a lot of it has to do with making peace with yourself like I've spent way too much damn time feeling stupid 
when I was thinking about what somebody else thought about me. And then it's more about coming to that understanding that you talked about where it's like trying to realize like your job on this earth is not to go around appeasing people. Right. It's to find peace within yourself. And I know that sounds very like come to my church after this and I'll tell you how to find <laughs> peace-ish. But like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, I like that. Is this, this is where we're mentioning the church, of course. But yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. And it's funny. Like I was thinking about how I, you know, I think sometimes – I tell myself a particular story about myself, like me being the judgy Nona. And then I'm like, okay, well, yeah, that's like partly true. But there's also the part of me that's like the very earnest California girl who like really likes to have some chit chat and tell people to have a nice day when she finishes. And there's like really – so there's like there are two sides of me. And I think there's one side – and this is what I think is hard for me to then – because I project this dynamic on others, right – is I tend to worry more about like what people just passing by think of me because that's when I'm like the cruelest in my head. You know, that's where the judgy Nona (laughs) smoking a cigarette, even though she's 102 years old, is just, you know, ripping through all these judgments. Right. But then when I'm actually talking one-on-one to people, I'm like curious. I want to get to know them. For the most part, I give people the benefit of the doubt and, you know, I end up liking a larger percentage of the people I actually talk to than the people I just see walk past and just observe, right? And I need to kind of extend myself that same grace of being like, yeah, but people may think that I, you know, whatever, they may think X, Y, and Z when I'm just walking around in my own world. But once they start to talk to me, then it's more likely that they'll get to know me and like me. And if they don't, that's kind of on them. That's not on me. That's not something I need to carry with me. Obviously, I don't want to hurt people or do things that are harmful. But in terms of looking stupid, who cares? There are plenty of people who look really stupid who do great with their life. I mean, you know, looking stupid does not bar you from anything as, you know, many years of politics have shown. I was going to say. Yeah, it's not necessarily a a death sentence for your career or upward mobility, right? Looking stupid is sometimes celebrated. Sometimes the ticket. It's it's sometimes the ticket to get you there. Yeah. So it's not the worst thing in the world. I think what's worse is not carrying yourself with kindness towards others and yourself. I think that's a more unlikable trait than looking stupid. I think everyone looks stupid occasionally. And sometimes it can be fun to look stupid. It can, you know, you can be goofy. I mean, what is being goofy other than being jovial about looking stupid, right? You know, and if we can kind of harness a little bit of that and be okay with looking stupid when we aren't really intending to and just kind of being like, whatever, you know, I didn't know that word. I walked in the wrong door, I pulled instead of pushed a door, you know, things like that, where we're just like, oh my God, the whole bank saw me pull the door. (laughs) You're just like, you know, these things really don't matter. You know, it's what matters, what the people will remember is how you talk to them, how you talk to the bank teller, you know. I think that's true. And that sort of thing. So I think it's more important to kind of cultivate patience and and kindness because sometimes when you're 
anxious, you can get yourself worked up to where you unintentionally, I know this can be true for me. And I know that any customer service representative who's ever had the misfortune of speaking to me on the phone probably (laughs) knows well, is sometimes when I get anxious, I get pissy because I'm just like frustrated with myself, with the world, with everything. And so trying to kind of like calm that down and be like, it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter if like this is dumb. It doesn't matter if I made a mistake. It doesn't matter if I'm stupid. Like what matters is that I'm a decent person and that I treat people the way I want to be treated. That's the more important piece of the puzzle. And that's something I'm working on is like letting go of like, okay, I need to control everyone's vision of me and I need to be this perfect actor in everyone's head. You know, that's not realistic or even desirable. Yeah. I think there's a lot that you said there that makes a ton of sense. And I don't know, it just strikes me like we we have, ultimately we have more to lose by not doing the things where we might look stupid than looking stupid doing those things. So it's worth just doing them. And for what it's worth for the record, like when I first met you, I never thought you were like a pissy old Nona. I just thought you were like incredibly sardonic (laughs) or like, that's what kind of, I just thought like, oh, she's got cynicism down pat. I love this person (laughs) because you were like, but like delightful, like playfully cynical, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Like I never kind of felt like you were truly bitching at the situation. I kind of felt like you were almost writing a script for a shitty situation in a funny way, kind of like the way a TV show, like Curb Your Enthusiasm would show a shitty situation. I felt like you were doing the live. Yeah. I think I was like intellectually shaped by Daria more than, (laughs) more than I acknowledged (laughs) at the time. (laughs) That was a big factor in my childhood, yeah. So um, I also, I wanted to mention the, I was reading the, uh, I, I always like to do a little bit of reading before we record episodes and things like that. And there was an article I read on, I can't remember who wrote it, but it was on the site like Thin Difference or something like that, which they talk about mental health here and there. And it was kind of like a fairly useless listicle article. We'll link to it in the show notes anyways, but it was kind of like a listicle that wasn't, it wasn't very, I didn't feel like there was a lot of oomph to the article, but there was one line, which I thought was worth mentioning, which is just that we all feel stupid somewhere. It's just it depends, you know, where you're going to be judging somebody like, I don't know, they're probably a pilot somewhere who feels like a dumbass in the pool. I don't know. But I mean, if you find them when they're behind the wheel of a plane, they probably feel pretty confident. So it's that old Einstein adage of like, if you judge, uh, you know, a fish on their ability to climb a tree, you're not going to be too impressed sort of thing. And I think that holds really true for Mm -hmm. feeling stupid in different places. We talked a lot about like how you and, and Brie is really big on this is like feeling stupid when you try new things, right? Like, we're all gonna feel stupid when you try new things. But you know, eventually you get comfortable with it. And I think there are some things where simply just exposure to it is going to make you feel less stupid. You know, the fifth time you go skating on a rink, you're going to feel less stupid than the first time. And the 10th time that you go out for dinner with somebody, you're going to feel less stupid. So all of these things, there are degrees to it. I do want to respect anyone who's a listener who has like sort of, you know, some crippling social anxiety, because I know it's not as easy in that case of, just saying, well, I'm going to go and do it because there's so much fear associated with it. So I do want to respect that. But I think, you know, a lot of what we've said holds true in the sense that like, if you have crippling social anxiety, because you feel stupid everywhere, it's worth noting that everybody feels stupid somewhere. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like even the most competent people on the planet, like go put Obama in an intense competitive water polo match and see if he feels stupid, right? Like, 
I don't know. I mean, that's a pretty specific example. I'm kind of proud of myself. <laughs> yeah. I somehow I'm just like, no, I'm sure he'd excel, but maybe like he wouldn't be a good he would ex- I know. I actually know he would excel because he's such a great basketball player that that example, while hyper-specific, I almost feel like he may be a dolphin in disguise and he would just own the pool. Maybe like basket weaving. I think he probably is an, an expert basket weaver. Okay, I'll accept that. So (laughs) that right there is the major takeaway of the episode for looking stupid that ultimately we have to imagine that even Obama might look stupid while whilst basket weaving. And so, you know, even the most proficient and great human beings are going to look stupid somewhere. But it is, I think, very true. Like I'm going to feel very comfortable on a rink. I'm going to feel like an absolute dumbass on a skateboard. But, you know, most people align with what you're trying to do. If I went to a skate park and I'm not going to, by the way, but if I did go to a skate park and I showed up with my nifty new board and I was like, I went up to a group of people and I was like, listen, I am brand new at this. I am going to be absolutely shit. I guarantee you almost all of them would be like, well, it's wicked that you're trying out skateboarding and they would be more likely to help you and cheer you on than to be like, Ooh, look at this new guy. Like, let's make sure he feels like crap. However, if you never went to the skate park, I bet you that's the situation that you're predicting for yourself. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a good example. Better than the water polo. (laughs) (laughs) I think, yeah, like it's very easy to like imagine that, Everyone was just naturally born gifted at things and you're the one failure who has no innate talent or skills when it's like, well, actually, like, you know, we're just seeing people at different stages of development and growth, right? And so I read this article in Forbes about how to overcome your fear of looking stupid at work. But honestly, I think it's applicable to looking stupid in general And one quote that stood out to me was focus on learning and growth mindset. So instead of trying to prove that you are smart or right, focus on what you can learn. If you practice a growth mindset, you can invite others to help you improve your ideas and develop insights. So instead of being like, let's use the skate park example, because I'm really digging the idea of Chris with like long hair and skateboard, just being like, yeah, guys. (laughs) <laughs> instead of just being like showing California up to this, yeah just showing up to the skate park being like yeah like I'm gonna shred <laughs> and just like you know making mistakes <laughs> left and right and being like oh I suck I suck if you like actually were like you fell and then you kind of like sat and you kind of watch people or you talk to someone about hey how did mm. you do that do you have any tips then you would learn more and you would feel less crappy about looking stupid and then you would also be telling people where you're starting from and then people would be like oh okay like of course you suck you're new you know what I mean and I think looking at it from a perspective of growing is definitely helpful and it's something I'm trying to work on because I am really really I really struggle with attaining new skills because of my fear of looking stupid and Mm -hmm. You know, it really hinders me in a lot of ways. Like I never really progress past a certain point of language acquisition because of my fear of looking stupid. Because at a certain point, I have all the words, I have all the grammar, I have all the understanding. But what happens is there becomes a point where the chatter in my mind gets so loud 
that I can't remember the stuff that I know. And okay, so sure, maybe I don't have this particular word or this particular conjugation, but I know enough that I could be creative with it if that voice in my head wasn't screaming, they're judging you so much because you used the wrong article. You called that table a boy, but the table's a girl, you know? like. Are I'm, you talking about like in like Spanish or another yeah, language? Or you, yeah, where I, I was like, going to say, I was like, I don't think anybody listening is going to be like, honestly, Allison, just not very eloquent. <laughs> but I think, no, but I think, no, yeah, I'm talking yeah. about like trying to speak in a foreign language and like, gotcha. I will be rather than just like being like, oh, I made a mistake and continuing on, I'll be like, wow, I didn't conjugate or I didn't yeah. match this article to the subject. Therefore, everyone knows me as a tremendous fool and I should never speak again when it's like a tremendous, fool. a tremendous <laughs> fool. And it's something I'm working on just kind of like brushing past that because it's like, well, when I opened my mouth, people could tell I wasn't a native speaker, you know? So like there's already the red carpet of low expectations has already been rolled out. You know, they're like, oh, look, an American yes. trying to speak another language. Let's watch, like put on their opera glasses. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, that's such a good point. I, I don't want to abruptly cut you off. But I just want to chime in and say, I think that's such a good point in Turkey, you know, there was not a single person at the tea shop that I was going to to drink tea with some of the guys and like try and play backgammon with a bunch of old, basically a bunch of old men. There wasn't any of them that was like, oh, I, I can't believe this Canadian and is absolutely garbage Turkish. It was very much like, it's nice that this guy's come to our country and trying to speak Turkish because there are a lot of people who came to Turkey to stay or live or whatever, who didn't even bother to learn the language. And and ultimately, I think about it like from my perspective, if there was somebody who was new to Canada and they might be, uh, you know, a brilliant poet in Hindi, but they just haven't mastered the English language yet, I would never in a million years say like, wow, can you believe how garbage that guy's English is? You know, like, in fact, I'd be like, hey, give yourself credit. Your English is fantastic. The courage to speak in a new language is is worth celebrating. And we'll do a, probably a whole episode on speaking a language at another date. But I think you've hit on something there where like most people are just going to be applauding you for trying as opposed to looking for a way to break you down. Yeah. Well, I'm slightly traumatized with speaking foreign languages because I took French with this really wonderful, I love her so much, but she was very intense. She was Egyptian and she went to like a French Catholic school and she always talked about how much the nuns would beat her for her mistakes. And we're just like, is this a threat in disguise? But whenever we would, so she would say things like, <laughs> the nuns would have beaten me for that mistake. And we'd be like, oh, okay. And then another thing that she would do was if we, you know, used paired an article incorrectly with a subject, like speaking about ourselves. So like if I said like, just we America instead of just we American, she would go like, avez-vous changé du sex? Which means, have you had a sex change? <laughs> and, which is not really a great, <laughs> doesn't really, you know, hold up well in today's, you know, gender identity climate. But I think she thought she was being <laughs> funny. So maybe not the most PC thing to do, but you know, woman was like, 83 years old and still teaching. But she was a fantastic teacher. But the only reason I learned French and still have some French in my head 
even after like 14 years of misuse is because of fear of looking stupid in front of my dear French teacher who I loved. And, you know, it was like one of those teachers who like you're terrified of, but like there's so much love there. So it's like you love to be scared of them. It was kind of one of those things. No, very nice. Just me. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. I was, no, it was not just you. I mean, I think what I was thinking of at least was that my dad has the most perfect writing I have ever seen. And it was basically, it came to, to pass years later. It was because the nuns again, the nuns struck again. He grew up in smaller town, Ontario. And, you know, I, I got the sense that uh, if you didn't have that perfect writing, perhaps the rulers came out as well. And so you learn to write perfectly, but it is immaculate uh, writing. It's lovely stuff. I mean, we have a family canoe. I know things are getting pretty Canadian here, but um, my grandfather's nickname was Darby. And so the canoe is called the Darby. And it's, we had basically my dad's handwriting, writing of the Darby literally put onto the, the side of the canoe, kind of imprinted there forever. So I guess uh, we owe a small thanks to those nuns, at least. <laughs> nuns, they get the job done. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's a, another important takeaway from the episode. So I think we covered a good amount of ground for, for looking stupid. I think there's a lot of the ways that I wanted to, to talk about um, looking stupid. I think, you know, in prepping for the episode, I really hadn't considered what you talked about almost right away when we were prepping for the episode, which is that it's not really an anxiety unto itself. It's more a feature of all of the anxiety we experience elsewhere. And I think that's really true. It, it really is this undercurrent It'll be interesting now moving forward after doing this episode to think about how much of my anxiety is related to just looking stupid, really, like mm -hmm. how much of it's related to looking stupid. And then hopefully we can sort of break down or use some of the tips that we've talked about to sort of break down, like, why does this matter? Um, and I think, again, some of what we we're talking about at the beginning, the going from like, who is going to care? Like, who, who are the people that are going to care about this to, you know, should I care? Like, wh why do I care? Who cares yeah. about this? I, I think you were, what was the phrase that you used? Uh, the going so what from, if I, like, what yeah, if I, yeah. what, what if, if I, I mess up? So, to, so what if I mess up or yeah, insert, exactly, insert is, you know, elaborate catastrophe that could never happen here. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the main cruxes of CBT, right? Of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is like, is you, you spend time, all the things you're scared of, you literally go into depth over what would happen there. So like if you have a phobia around going shopping, then you can break down all the situations of, that could occur and then talk about your response to them and you know how traumatic would that really be. And so, yeah, it's interesting to go down that path. As far as any other tips, I think we're probably good to go into tips. I don't know though if there are any tips that are that are worth mentioning aside from some of the stuff we've already mentioned we i think we were kind of going through this episode more like talk tip talk tip talk tip but was there any other talking points and or tips that you want to throw in before we do some back padding and wrap up the episode sure so one other thing from this forbes article i read it has something to do with sort of what i talked about earlier in the episode about sort of like making ourselves larger than life. So one of their tips is uh, get over yourself, <laughs> to put it frankly. We are always at the <laughs> <laughs> just to get down to business. 
We are always at the center of our own fearful narratives, and we assume that what happens is a reflection on us, but in reality, you are a part of a complex system. Instead of making each interaction into a judgment about you, consider how you contribute to a beneficial shared outcome. So sort of like, instead of just being like, oh, you know, I made this horrific mistake and it is unfixable and I have made everyone deeply unhappy. Well, maybe everyone learned from your mistake and now that mistake won't happen again. And you learned from your mistake and it gave your boss an opportunity to practice leadership in correcting the mistake. And it set expectations for the team. You know what I mean? These are like, you know, I'm thinking about it in a work context, but Every mistake is also an opportunity and not just for you, but for other people to step up and practice other skills, other soft skills as well. And so just sort of thinking about things like that, rather than being like, this is an awful mistake, be like, how can I see this as an opportunity in some ways? And while it can still be a mistake, I'm not suggesting you like gaslight yourself into thinking you can't make mistakes. But Hmm. how can your mistakes also be, you know, beneficial, you know, it's not black and white that all mistakes are awful. A lot of discoveries are mistakes, a lot of inventions and whatnot happen because of a mistake. And so I think it's, let's maybe reframe how dangerous we think mistakes are and see that they're not really that dangerous. After all, what's dangerous is that the constant self-hatred that you kind of bombard yourself with. If you're someone who has such a bad anxiety of looking stupid like myself, the dangerous part is not the mistakes. The dangerous part is how I talk to myself. And so the worst part has kind of already happened, whether or not Mm -hmm. I do make the mistake, right? So that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, I think that's uh, very well said. I'm not even going to really add anything there because I think uh, I'm not going to be able to say it any better than you just did. So I think that's that's perfect. The only thing that I had really in the way of tips was just to, I guess it's a little bit in line of what you mentioned, but really the only thing I wanted to mention was just to, you know, when we're looking back on the things that we thought we were looking stupid, focus on reflection as opposed to replaying. So I've been in a situation before where I've replayed the situation a million times in my head and I've replayed it kind of like, I kind of would picture myself as like a football coach going through game film and being like, see, that's where you missed up. You missed the block, you know, or like whatever. But that's what I'm doing to myself. I'm talking about you screwed up there. You screwed up there. You screwed up there. And I think replaying it is never really going to be helpful. It's better to kind of leave the event as it was, stop rewinding and replaying it and just figure out what's worth reflecting on. And that's kind of what you were talking about there as well. Like what, what are the learning points as opposed to that difference between replaying and reflecting, I think is helpful for me because I'm somebody who mm-hmm. likes to replay things a million times and then suss out all the little ways that, you know, the refractions of that, like, oh, when I did this, this might have happened, did that, that might have happened, and just go into catastrophizing spiral. And I think it, it probably surprises people because I'm, you know, I think in, when I'm with people, I come across as somebody who's pretty extroverted and kind of outgoing and stuff like that. But I spend a lot of time, more time than people would think, thinking about or kind of obsessing over the little things. I'm better than with it now than I was, but you know, as I mentioned before, particularly if I had like a night out and we were drinking a whole bunch of beer and stuff like that, like I would get it in my head that I was the only one drinking beer, you know, like you think of it like, oh my God, I was just wild, right? You know, but like you forget that you shared the exact, you shared the pictures with somebody else, but in your head, you're like, they were sober as a judge and I was a a maniac. 
but uh, we'll we, we can probably do a whole other episode about that uh, some other time. Any other things you want to touch upon before we pat the respective backs? Nope. Let's get those respective backs their patting. <laughs> okay, sounds excellent. <laughs> do you want me to kick it off? Yeah, go for it. I know what I'm going to say. So if you want me okay, to cool. go first, then I can. But if you have yours all teed up and ready to go, you can knock it out of the park. No, it doesn't matter to me. You choose. Go for it, Chris. Okay. So I'm just patting myself on the back for, again, following that ethos of controlling what I can control. And in this case, I can't do a whole lot in Ontario right now, but I can do absurdly long bike rides. And so I just had decided for myself that I was going to try for the century bike ride, which is a hundred kilometers in a day. And that's what I did on Saturday. My bikes kind of around the whole perimeter of the city. And I just focused on a hobby like cycling, which gave me some joy and purpose and something I could control and put my energy towards that literally and figuratively. And I felt good about that. You know, it was like, it's, I, it was nice to set out to do something. Uh, I've set out to do so many things uh, during the pandemic, which were thwarted by, you know, a million different things. I tried to work with somebody on a project and it fell through because of COVID. I tried to do this. I tried to do that. Fell through, fell through, fell through. And in this case, it was something that I could totally control, you know, barring traffic and such. I, I think I was careful in traffic. I didn't have anyone come try to run me over while I was cycling. But, you know, for the most part, it was just about the will to, to do it. And it, I didn't find it actually terribly, like it wasn't ridiculously difficult. I was definitely sore the next day. But I'm patting myself on the back for putting my energy towards something that felt productive and something I could control and particularly hobbies that give back. This is kind of what I'm really focused on right now is hobbies that give back. So um, that is what I'm patting myself on the back for. And what about you? So my thing is that it actually ties in nicely to this episode is that, you know, previously I had done a lot of work on my fear of looking stupid when I do things alone that I like presume to be, you know, group things, you know, things like going out to dinner or going out to lunch or whatever. When I started traveling, because I started traveling and backpacking alone, it took a lot of work for me to get over my anxiety of like dining alone. And last week I was staying up at my aunt's house and I wanted to do a drive along the coast and visit a couple cities on the coast for my blog. And my aunt was busy. She couldn't come with me. And I was like, screw it. Today's the day I'm going to get back in the driver's seat, literally, and drive myself to these places. And I'm going to have meals like outside alone. And who cares if someone judged me? Like, so what if someone wonders why I'm alone? So what if someone you know, is like, that looks sad. I don't feel sad. I actually felt really happy. So like, (laughs) if anyone wanted to judge me, you know, their judgment probably would have been incorrect. Because for the moment of trepidation that I had, it was completely outweighed by the immense satisfaction that I felt, you know, just eating my cup of clam chowder, looking over the Russian river emptying into the Pacific ocean. It was like a really like wonderful transcendent moment of joy that I had. It was like the culmination of something I'd been waiting a long time to happen. It was a really special thing of clam chowder. I got to say. 
Beautiful. But, you know, it was just sort of, I have such a fear about doing things alone. And I, because of COVID, I wasn't really able to do much alone because um, in Bulgaria, like my driver's license wasn't valid. So I couldn't really go anywhere on my own or do anything on my own besides, you know, a place I could take myself with my own two feet because, you know, I was scared about people not complying with the masks and stuff on any sort of public transit. So I was kind of confined in a way. So this was a really nice way to sort of be like, oh, actually all these things that, you know, I had worked on to be able to do, I could just pick up where I left off. It wasn't like, a whole like relearning, you know, it was like a moment of trepidation and anxiety and then relief. And it was just a really nice moment. So this is my message to you. Get yourself that cup of clam chowder, look at a river and fuck the haters. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. That's the new slogan of the show at large. And also like if you had told me 10 years ago that I was going to be riding around the streets of Toronto in spandex alarmingly tight spandex for (laughs) cycling you know I think uh, I would have laughed in your face but here we are and you know what I didn't give a shit about I had very few cares to give about it and just went for it so I like that our back padding fits in perfectly with the episode I really like this episode and I hope that listeners will as well. I feel like uh, it was one of those episodes where you know we were talking about you know, feeling stupid or looking stupid or whatever. Like I'm going back and editing a lot of our older episodes and stuff like that. And I think we've come a long way. You know, these episodes feel more complete, a lot better to me than the old episodes. And they should, right? We've done 53 of them. But it's funny, like you talked before about you get better, you practice, you get better, you get better. It's just natural. I'm not going back and editing any episodes and being like, wow, we're so stupid. I'm at a place now where I'm like, oh, it's really interesting to look at how we approach things before and how we approach things now. And I bet you that's the same approach listeners have too. They're, it's probably interesting to go from how things would change from episode one to episode 53. I doubt there's that many people that are like, wow, these people are really shit. I shouldn't have listened to the first eight episodes, you know? And people are, I think, more forgiving than that, generally speaking. But I think that about sums it up. So yeah, just do your thing. Fuck the haters. That's our message overwhelmingly from this episode. And uh, I guess uh, if you want Don't a community of other clam people who feel that way, and or spandex. That's oh, right. Sorry. Clam chowder and spandex. That is the, the duo. No, not at all. If you want to talk more about clam chowder and spandex, you can find us in our Facebook group. Uh, we're anxious about. We're pretty welcoming over there. And yeah, I will catch you again in two weeks. And thanks everybody for listening. Have a great fortnight. <laughs> I am so used to saying week. I, <laughs> I like fortnight. Have a good fortnight, everybody. 